0: listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry.
1: You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by IBM. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks to everyone for joining us for episode three hundred and thirteen, and it's August first Friday Q and A. How's it going, Mark?
0: Hey, what? This is pretty close to the first Friday. We don't ever get this close. It's this like to the first second Friday. week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not gonna say it's hot because we've said that before because it's just ridiculous.
1: Twenty nine days without rain.
0: Yeah, our water bill is gonna be as much as our electricity bill. <laughs> we keep trying to keep the grass alive. Speaking of that, you know. Paige and I have had this thing happen where in the corporate headquarters for OGGN, somebody keeps cutting off the valves for our sprinklers, and I'm starting to suspect that it's kids, and they think they're cutting off our natural gas supply. Really? I mean, why else would somebody cut off our sprinkler valves? I don't know. Me either. Anyway, well, it's a mystery. We'll eventually figure it out. We'll probably put cameras up and try to catch them. What we're not trying to catch is all of the great people that leave us reviews. You want to read it?
1: I guess I don't know what kind of segue that was, but great work, guys. I love the show. Please keep it up. Great work. And when will you start doing live events again in Midland from Tabs?
0: Tabs, it's hot in Midland right now. <laughs> it's
1: just all of Texas. It was in the South.
0: Yeah, so we got the one here in Houston every month. We're doing August, September, October. The only month we have left this year is November. So if you want to sponsor that, let me know. It's a great. Great thing to do: get in front of prospects for a little bit of money. Get in front of a lot of oil and gas people. At the end of the day, the money goes to charity: fight human sex trafficking. We're also launching one in Lafayette, Louisiana. So stay tuned for news on that. Then, first Friday Q&A. So it's time for questions, huh? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to figure out where the news articles were.
1: Welcome back. (laughs) All right. First one is always from Ludwig. Is it normal to have a guard dog in the USA? Just asking. And something strange, a dog seeking its own (laughs) drinks. What does that even mean?
0: You remember last episode and we talked about Tucker was up here, our guard dog. Oh. His his carton of milk. He brought his carton of milk up here. Oh. And so, Lou, a couple of things in audience. Tucker is ferocious. Tucker's- He, He will bite the hell out of your ankles. Tucker's also 25 pounds. No, he's 30. 30 pounds, right? So he's not really a guard dog, although he thinks he is. He's our mascot for OGGN, and he likes cartons of liquid and cans. And so we give him cartons because he likes to open them. So, Luther, basically what we do is we have a very small carton of milk. We take and drink most of the milk out of it, put the lid back on it, and then Tucker carries it around and opens the lid and licks the milk out of it. So not really a dog, guard dog. It's not common to have guard dogs in the U.S., and a dog carrying his own drinks is kind of different but that's just tucker
1: all right well now let's get back to oil and gas instead of my dog all right next questions from david case field superintendent case Casebeer inc do you have any recommendations for a new stripper well operation on operator on how i can expand my knowledge base of technical knowledge and professional support network and there's a huge novel of background so i'm gonna let you add.
0: Just go ahead and jump into it. Yeah. So there's a bunch of stuff online. You want to check out all fill basics. But what you really need is some hand holding because David's background, he's actually an oceaneering engineer. So he understands the engineering process. He's buying some stripper wells. He's had some issues. And he doesn't say where he's from, does he, or where his wells are?
1: No, I don't think so.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, Wait, no, Kansas. Oh, Kansas. We might be.
0: Be funny, David, because we're, we're making a trip to some stripper wells in Kansas ourselves. It'd be funny if it's the same group. Anyway, back to your question. There's check out community colleges, maybe not so much in Kansas because you don't have a lot of oil and gas activity. Here in Texas, Lone Star College has enormous and very inexpensive engineering classes for anything downhole, anything production, any of that sort of stuff. And then I told you, you know, check out All Basics. Also, check out some of the companies like Schlumberger, uh, Champion X. All field chemical companies. They all have online and in-person courses that you can pick and choose from. This way, you don't have to go through an entire degree program, but you can pick and choose the technical oil and gas courses that you need for your stripper wells. But I would reach out to Lone Star first. They're probably the best bang for your buck. Their instructors are people from the field, from the major oil and gas companies. They're not very expensive, and you can pick and choose what classes you need to help you with your production. And it looks like He's looking for help with preventing issues. The problem with the stripper wells are old, and you're going to have yeah. all kinds of issues. Besides looking for education, David, I think you should try to find a peer. Paige, what is the name of the university in Missouri that we're going to do live podcasts at?
1: Missouri Science and Technology yeah. or something like that.
0: Yeah, David, reach out to them. They have a small SPE chapter and the students are fans of the podcast and the students actually run some stripper wells themselves. I bet they would be happy to help you answer your questions and it would not only would it probably not cost you and then you may be able to get some free work out of them. So just just reach out to them direct the SPE chapter at the Missouri State What was it? Missouri State
1: I think so. I don't know. Go look at my LinkedIn. Yeah. I've posted about the event. So
0: Anyway, David, hope that helps you. You should be able to get what you need from all those resources I just rattled off. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, Bart writes in, guys, I really, really love your podcast and always recommend it to everyone. Could you please tell how crypto mining is helping the industry to be more green by reducing gas flaring? I think not many people knows about it.
0: Yeah. Okay. So I don't want to get too deep into crypto, but basically- regardless of what cryptocurrency you're talking about you use processing power and computers to basically solve math problems and if you solve enough math problems you start accumulating that cryptocurrency which you then use to buy stuff trade blah 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 the cool thing about it is it's unconstrained from a location wise so you can in the process of using computers to do the math they call it mining like so mining cryptocurrency although you're not actually mining so you can mine from anywhere now the cost to mining cryptocurrency comes back to electricity. There's a bunch of companies and individuals out there that make the computers basically that does the mining, but your cost is run the electricity. And so really good crypto miners want the cheapest electricity possible. And one of the best ways to get cheap, if not free electricity, is to go to a well site where they're flaring natural gas. And what that means is that when you drill a well, you get all kinds of stuff out of the well. You get crude oil, You get natural gas, you get water, you get sand, all kinds of stuff. And sometimes nobody wants the natural gas, either because there's no infrastructure to put it in place, or it just doesn't make economic sense. And so they burn it off because it's better for the environment, and we are eventually get away from flaring. But anyway, so instead of flaring in natural gas, you could run generator sets. So the fuel in this scenario would be free for the generator sets. All you'd have to do is buy or rent the gen sets. And now you're getting almost free or free electricity to mine cryptocurrency, which then means that you're mining cryptocurrency is taking this natural gas, which is predominantly methane, and using it to generate electricity instead of being flared or vented to the atmosphere. It's really a wonderful byproduct that just has started becoming popular say, in the last five years or so. Now. Like everything else, it depends on market dynamics. If cryptocurrency is cheap, then it doesn't make as much sense to mine it or to burn flare gas and generators. If cryptocurrency is expensive, it makes more sense. But it is a wonderful way to take what was a waste byproduct and turn it into something really cool, which is cryptocurrency. So great question, Bart.
1: All right. Shez Shafiq asks, I have recently moved to Houston, Texas. I'm officially from the UK and I have a 20-year accounting background in the media industry. I would like to take a break into the oil and gas industry, but I don't know where to start. Can you please give me some pointers in terms of how to meet the right people to help me find the right job?
0: You know, Shaz, the odds of me being able to answer your question are almost impossible, but I'm going to do it. So what you may not know is all the super majors have now built internal media teams. So not corporate communications, which they've had forever. And corporate communications and all guys tend to deal with crisis, right? So the only time you hear from the corporate communication people is when something bad happens. Chevron specifically has hired several journalists and several media, several editors to produce high-quality content because that's what it takes in today's world to get your messaging out there. No longer – Is it the realm of big corporate marketing where you buy a half a page ad in the Wall Street Journal? Now the oil and gas industry needs to create high-quality content to educate the public to help fight this negative public Yeah, my mind went to immediately NOV. Yeah, so National Oil actually has a chief storyteller. They have videographers. They have editors, sound guys. They write their own music for their content, for the movies they make. So I would start there, pick the major – Start with the American supermajors, so Chevron and Exxon. Go look at their media departments. It's literally listed on their website. Reach out to the people that are in their media departments and tell them exactly what you just told us, that you have this background in accounting and media and that you're trying to break into oil and gas industry and see what happens. The same way with National Oil Varka. Reach out to them and their competitors, Slumberjay, Baker Hughes, Weatherford. All of them are looking into creating more high-quality content to help educate the public. So in some ways, this is like perfect timing for you to try to do this. Good luck to you.
1: Yep, yep. Okay, Clara Lopez writes in, operation buyer at TC Energy. Mark, did you hear about the TC Energy partners with global infrastructure partners through 5.2 billion sale of 40% equity interest in Columbia Gas and Columbia Gulf? Why would TC Energy sell We just talked about
0: this in the last episode. Yeah, I know. So, Claro, if you didn't listen to the last episode, go back and listen to it. But I can answer your question. I think TC Energy is making an enormous mistake. They're selling off basically their liquids part of their pipeline business, the stuff that moves crude oil. And I think they're doing it for public perception reasons, thinking that the world is frowning upon anything to do with fossil fuels and hydrocarbons. And the reason I think they are making a big mistake is I think that public perception, that negative public perception is starting to turn around. And there's just no way we can power the world without crude oil. TC is keeping their natural gas infrastructure. They're actually trying to grow that a little bit, which is good. There's a need for that. But I think they're making an enormous mistake getting rid of their liquids, infrastructure parts of their business. Time will tell, but I'm right there with you, Clara. It makes no sense to me why they would do that, but they did it.
1: Yep, they sure did, didn't they? All right. Lucy Michaels, Regulatory Specialist 2 at West Texas Gas Company. Paige, what's going on with Oklahoma's legislator wanting to exempt natural gas industry from price gouging law, HB 2561? Is that more helpful to the natural gas industry or the consumer? And I love how you so easily hold your own with Mark and are a true expert just like he is. Having two thought leaders plus the chemistry between you both is what makes the show. Nothing else even comes close. Hope to meet you one day. That was nice. Yeah, very nice. Thank you, Lucy. So basically, this is the Emergency Price Stabilization Act in Oklahoma, HB 2561, as I said before. And it was actually approved by Governor Kevin Stent in May, early May. I think it was the second. So basically what that does is it adds natural gas to a law that already lets petroleum prices be increased by more than like 10 percent, even during a state of emergency. Based off the research I did, Representative Mark McBride, who authored the bill, said that Oklahoma natural gas utilities can't control the market and shouldn't have to foot the bill after the emergencies. So basically, it's helping the utility companies.
0: Yeah, I would also think it's also helping the consumer because if the natural gas industry has to respond quickly to a big increase in pricing like we had the
1: freeze. Well, and that's that's how this all stemmed.
0: Yeah, the only way you would mitigate that as a company is you'd have to charge more On those years where you don't have those price swings so that when it does happen you would be okay which means the consumers also benefit from this because if they didn't do that the consumer would pay more for natural gas for for all the time yeah so good question yeah
1: very good question okay so next one john gates vp of marketing at food Grow. first things guys congratulations on an amazing podcast nobody and i mean nobody comes close to delivering so much value in such an easy to listen to package I think half of our company here and in Holland must listen to your podcast. Okay, so he has two questions. The first is, what mistakes do you see oil and gas service companies make when trying to market to the operators? Second, you had a listener from Hess, I believe, ask a question about starting a podcast. Great detailed answer, by the way. Along the same lines, what advice would you give for a future service company that wanted to use podcasting to market to the operator? Keep it turning to the right.
0: All right, mistakes. Number one mistake I see the oil and gas industry when it comes to marketing in general, especially service companies to operators, is they still do things the way they did in 1981, still throwing money at large international conferences, at print, at any type to pay to play. There's a bunch of organizations out there that will write a wonderful editorial on your company and your oil field service tool if you pay them $15,000, $20,000, dollars $30,000. So doing things the old-fashioned way is one of the biggest mistakes. Not defining who your customer is. And nothing against marketing people on gas. I love all of y'all. But if I come ask you who's buying your stuff, you could give me most probably a generic answer, unlike your sales team who could tell me exactly who's buying your stuff. The Next thing is the only gas entry doesn't track results. They just throw money at marketing and hope something happens. And we can't do that anymore. The world's quit doing that. Lack of consistency in your marketing. You know, sometimes you're at this trade show, sometimes you're not. Sometimes you're talking about methane mitigation. Sometimes you're talking about your ESG efforts. Sometimes you're talking about your diversity. Which one of those things are important to your buyers? You don't experiment. You literally don't try anything new in marketing. You're still using marketing tools that are 10 or 15, 20 years old. And then the other thing that this industry does, and I got to be careful here because we're sometimes the byproduct of Oil and gas companies wanting to spend money on marketing, right? Right, yeah. They sponsor a podcast. Right. But sometimes oil and gas service companies, you think you have to only spend big to get results. You don't need to always spend big to get results. You can spend small and smart and a lot of times drive better results than you can with spending big. Let me give you a perfect example. You could spend all the money it takes to go to a major oil and gas conference like OTC, the booth, moving all your equipment to the floor, putting all your people in hotels and everything. You know what? For a 10th, maybe a 50th of that, I can geofence OTC using something like Twitter, and I can serve ads to every single person that's going to OTC without being there, right? I will get more exposure, and if I understand my messaging right and I get it done properly, I will drive more sales results by me geofencing OTC than you will by exhibiting. And I'm spending a 50th of, of what you're spending. So you don't always need to spend big to get results. What was the other question?
1: It was along the same Lines. what advice would you give me for a service company that wanted to use podcasting to market to the
0: operators? Oh, that's an easy one. So if you start a podcast, that podcast cannot be you trying to sell your stuff. Yep. Throw it out the window. However, imagine if you brought your customers, which are the operators, on your podcast and talked about problems that you helped them solve. Guess what? Other operators would listen to that. And if they have the same problem, they're going to reach out to you. The other thing, John, is, and I know this is gonna sound like I'm trying to sell you something I'm not, is you can't do the podcast yourself. If a, your company does the podcast-
1: It comes off as bias.
0: Yeah. People are going to think it's your marketing efforts and they're going to ignore it. You need an independent third party, like OGGN. Okay, maybe I'm trying to sell you something, John, but you need an independent third party to do your podcast so that you people don't think it's a marketing effort by your company. So two bits of advice, don't do it yourself and make sure that you're Podcast is about the problems that your operator buyers are having, not about you and your products.
1: All right. Sean Mastria, director of controls at FlowServe. Been a fan for years, and I really appreciate the work you put into this podcast. What do you think about the move to electrify everything in the field and also electrifying everything at home? Is this a trend being pushed by the green extremists or... Is there really something important here?
0: That's a darn good question, Sean. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> it's a little bit of all of that. A lot of the stuff, like the electric frac fleets you're seeing out there, electric wireline. There's a lot of benefits to it: less noise, especially if you're operating like close to a neighborhood. Less vibration, so your equipment lasts longer. The problem is getting utility power, as you yeah. know. We tend to operate in the middle of nowhere. In the middle of nowhere, there's not usually power lines. And so in those situations, if you had an electric fleet, you'd have to generate your own power, which would be with a genset. And then you're right back to the same, if not more, impact to the environment because you're hauling diesel, you're running a genset, as opposed to just having a diesel motor running your equipment. But in the places where there is utility power, it's cheaper and better for the environment and better for your employees and better for the local community that you operate in to electrify stuff. And we're moving that way. It just makes more sense. The audience may not know this. When you see big, heavy earth moving equipment like bulldozers and stuff, or even locomotives that are pulling trains, those are all diesel electric. So that bulldozer and that locomotive for that train, what's driving the wheels is an electric motor. The diesel that's the engine that's in there is driving a generator to power that electric motor. And the reason they do that is electric motors have 100% torque at one RPM, so you don't need transmissions, which means you're more efficient. So, this move to electrify stuff's been going on for a very long time. At home, boy, there's a risk there. So, I'm old enough to remember the Arab oil embargo, and a lot of the U.S. was very worried that there would not be enough natural gas. Mm. And so contractors and developers and individuals wanted all electric homes because they thought that natural gas would be so expensive you couldn't afford it and they were wrong which means a lot of people bought and built houses sometimes entire subdivisions that were all electric which then puts you at the mercy of electrical power prices because you don't have competition from the natural gas so moving everything to all electric at home that's kind of up to you I would never voluntarily do that. I would always have a mix of electricity and natural gas. Yeah, in my especially
1: home. after the freeze. Yeah. After that freeze, that's um, you know.
0: Yeah. So the trend is being pushed in the homes. You're seeing this, it's getting ridiculous. So now only are municipalities, I'm laughing because it's so sad. Not only are municipalities in different parts of the US banning new natural gas hookups. Now they're talking about making it illegal to actually have natural gas existing infrastructure. And that's going to ruin a lot of restaurants who need cheap natural gas to fire up their ability to cook. So the stuff at home, I think, is pushing by the kind of green agenda. But out in the oil field, it's I think it's just a natural evolution. and In the right place, it makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. All right. Bridget Hayden, project controller for Weir, has a question. I heard the episode where you were recorded live from Calgary, Canada. What would it take to have you do something similar in Aberdeen? And Paige, I am also an Irish-Scottish ginger and love the podcast and your industry leader's show. So you already have a girlfriend in Scotland to go drinking with.
0: (laughs) That sounds like danger. (laughs) Yes, Bridget, if you want us to come do something in Aberdeen, reach out to us. Let me tell you basically how this works. We do these mixers, like you heard in Calgary, and the whole goal is to get our local community together, our all-filled family, wherever we are in the world, do a live podcast, and we raise money for charity. And each area that we do this, we have a different local charity. So if you have a charity in Aberdeen that you want to support, the only thing that we ask of you is that most of the money goes to the people that need it. People are animals, I should say. We don't like to support charities that pay their executives $300,000 right. a year. Yep. So here in Houston, we donate to a charity that fights human sex trafficking, In Calgary, it was charity for the children of fallen police officers. In Midland, it was a woman's shelter that we did. So if you want to do something, reach out to me. Now, because we're going to have to travel, the cost of doing something in Aberdeen is going to be even more than it was in Calgary. But we have a lot of big companies that love what we do, and we can always find sponsorship dollars. And, and if f-
1: you know a sponsor. Yeah, and if you know if a sponsor. If Weir mean, wants to be a sponsor. would
0: be, yeah, it would be great. It's great exposure. It's a way for us to give back. We would love, I would love for Paige to see the beauty in Aberdeen. It is one of the most beautiful spots in the world. It looks fake in the springtime. You have the green hills and the, the white sheep. It's just beautiful.
1: Plus, I'll get to hang out with my fellow
0: gingers. (laughs) Well, and I'm warning you, Bridget. (laughs) If you go drinking with Paige, whatever happens, that's up to y'all. Okay.
1: So, Michael Baker, VP of Operations at Global Logics. My favorite podcast in the world and also the only podcast that I listen to.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Uh, That was funny. Yeah.
1: Mark, in the July First Friday Q&A episode, you answered a question about the...
0: Proliferation.
1: Proliferation. I need my glasses. Of private 5G networks in the oil and gas industry, do you think eventually this type of technology will eliminate the cabling of sensors, valves, PCMs, et cetera?
0: No, I don't think it will ever eliminate cabling. I do think that it's going to greatly diminish the amount of cabling needed. It's just faster and cheaper. For certain things that are mission critical, talking about process control modules, which by the way, everybody out there that has a process control module that's older than five or six years, I know what your username and password is because y'all never change them.
1: <laughs> Speaking of cybersecurity,
0: would y'all at least change the username and password? But things that are mission critical need to have dual connectivity. And what you'll see is both cabling and some type of wireless like 5G. So I don't think you'll ever eliminate all the cable it's needed. It will greatly diminish it because it's just a better solution. You know, If you look at our studio in my home, you know, it's wired with Cat6 everywhere. Well, 10 years ago, that was a great technology leap to have, you know, Ethernet all over your house. We don't use it. Wireless is so much better and easier that we don't need to use Cat6. So something that was high tech just a few years ago from cabling is now basically worthless. So yeah, it won't eliminate it completely, but it will greatly diminish it.
1: All right. So this one's from Lisa Parnell, <laughs> child wrangler and chief of keeping the house in order <laughs> because she's an oil filled wife. Mark and Page, I'd really like your input on a disagreement between myself and one of my neighbors. I'm not a big fan of John Kerry, who is. Um, so <laughs> I can, the, <laughs> sorry. The, the
0: geopolitics show. Sorry.
1: So I can't help but do a fact-checking every time he publishes something I don't agree with. It seems like he's been wrong about every doom and gloom climate prediction for the last 50 years. Do you think he really believes that? what he says and just keeps getting things wrong or is there a reason he continually spouts apocalyptic climate untruths are there other people doing the same if so why and i absolutely love your podcast although i don't particularly like when mark gives the biden administration
0: thumbs up well lisa this was a gray area i almost didn't include your question great question and you're 100 percent entitled to your opinion the reason i almost didn't include it is we're getting kind of deep in individual politicians. And I just don't want to go there in this show. I don't mind talking about parties and you know the organization as a whole. But at the same time, you ask some questions that need to be answered. So I'm going to go ahead and answer it. So number one, when the Biden administration does something that I think is good, I'm going to give them thumbs up. I have to. It's the right thing to do.
1: And Especially you, when it helps the industry. Yeah.
0: And if you pay attention, for every one time I give them thumbs up, there's probably 50 times I give them yeah. thumbs down. But when they do something right, I'm going to give them credit for it. I know you don't like it, but I'm sorry. It's just how I am. I did pull a quote off Twitter, speaking of John Kerry. And, and this quote is what made me keep this question in here. Here's a direct quote 10 million people are dying every year around the world because of extreme heat. It's getting hotter. There are going to be more intensive weather events. So as this happens, as people see their farms, you know, the crops ripped away or their homes destroyed, you watch the pressure grow. Number one, John Kerry. Climate-related deaths has declined ninety nine percent in the last. How old is years. this quote? Just a few days ago. Oh, really? Right, well, no. Well, so it's been a while since we recorded. It was a few days when I put the question here. Since so probably oh, like weeks, a week, two, two weeks old at the most. Okay. Yeah. So, number one, that's wrong. That's just outright wrong. Number two, John. A lot of people listen to you, like Lisa and other people, and for you to put information out there that is wrong, that's misleading, that scares people. Somebody at your place as a public figure. Not only is it wrong ethically, it's almost criminal. It would be like me spouting stuff to get people scared about stuff, right? It's just we have an audience, and I have an obligation to the audience to not do that. I'm not going to be the guy that's going to scream fire in the auditorium. And this is what you're doing, and it's absolutely it's not true. We're going through a heat wave, right?
1: The heat term wave. heat waves has
0: been used since the late 1700s. Why? Because it naturally gets hot sometimes, right? Yeah. Is it hot outside? Hell, yeah. Is it the end of the summer when it's naturally hot? Yeah. Yeah, it's fucking um, August. Is this the hottest the earth's ever been? No. No. In recent history, in the 30s, we had worse heat in this. Remember a little thing called the Dust Bowl when it was so hot that all the crops died? So, Lisa, I totally get it. And you asked about other people. I don't want to get too deep in individuals, although I really could. Well,
1: you- so here's my thing. When it comes to any politician, regardless of what side they're on, do your research, people. They all have agendas It's basically yep. what it comes down to. So fact check everybody, not just John Kerry, not just, you know, President Trump, everyone. Everybody. Educate yourself.
0: Educate yourself. That's a really good point. But you talked about are other people doing this. I don't want to name other people, although if you were in person, we could have a lot of fun doing this. But let me talk about an organization that you might have heard of, the United Nations. The United Nations is funded by a lot of countries, predominantly mm. by the U.S., Their obligation is to make this world a better place. Let me tell you what the United Nations has said. Oh, yeah, I remember you talking about this. Let me talk about what the United Nations has said in the past. 1972, United Nations, we have 10 years to stop this ice age catastrophe. 1989, United Nations, we have 10 years left before crop failures wipe nations off the face of this earth. 1990, United Nations, we must fix man's impact to the climate before 1995 or we will all be destroyed. 2010, 2010. United Nations, only 11 years left to prevent irreversible damage from global warming. So an organization that's full of scientists that's funded by a lot of countries, including the U.S., that is not supposed to be politically aligned, of their four predictions since 1972, got zero of them right. Why do they do that? because they have their own agenda. I am not a conspiracy theorist. They're not trying to take over the world. But what they're trying to do is sway people's opinion to get them to vote or spend money in a certain way that benefits them. And to Paige's point, to make this not impact our world, you just need to do your own research, do your own fact checking, understanding that people with political power often crave more. And this is just one of the way they get more power, is by influencing people to do what they want them to do instead of Things based on reality.
1: Yeah, that's true. And not only that, but I mean, they're building their war chests. So, you know, lobbyists, man.
0: Well, and I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole. You know, I'm on the API board of directors for the Houston chapter and API in the US is one of the biggest lobby groups. And I got a chance to speak to our head lobbyist, And he told me something that really bothered me. This was 10 years ago. He goes, Nowadays, politicians don't want to solve anything. This way, each time there's another election cycle, they can mm-hmm. bring up the same old problems, yep. have the same old answers, get the same people to vote for them, so it puts them back in office. Whereas if they fix the problems, there would not be a reason for them to be reelected. And that Bothered me because I can see the truth in that.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's why there should be term limits. But anyway. Yeah,
0: well, I don't want to go any deeper than politics. <laughs> this show. We'll save that for Jordan's show. Yeah. Lisa, thanks for writing out. And for everybody else out there that sends in questions like this, that they get really deep on individuals or politics. Normally, it's just not a good fit for the show, and I don't want to go down that route. This one was different because it is something that impacts our industry, and I wanted to make sure that people understood the reality of what's going on. So don't take climate Advice from John Kerry. Clearly. That's a wrap. No, it's not. you've got to do this week in Petroleum History. Okay. Well, <laughs> you you just have at it, bro. August 1st, 1872. First pipeline ever built. Iron pipeline delivery. Of Pennsylvania's natural gas began and delivered natural gas to 250 residential and commercial customers in Titusville, Pennsylvania through a two-inch cast iron pipeline. Mm. Can you imagine <laughs> cast iron pipe on the problems they have with that? August second, nineteen fifty six, Missouri builds what the first U.S. interstate highway. Why did they build the first U.S. interstate highway? Because they had gas stations, automobiles, and they wanted people to be able to drive around and see the rest of the country. Yay! August third, seventeen sixty nine, La Brea. Tar pits discovered. You know, that's where all they find all the dinosaur bones, where all the woolly mammoths and saber tooth tigers got stuck. Oh, yeah. yeah. Now, the one thing I've always wondered is I know from an organic chemistry point of view that it's not tar. It's actually asphalt.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, it says why, asphalt in the title.
0: <laughs> yeah. So why it's been called tar pits, I don't know. It's asphalt. August 3rd, because of 1942, because of the World War. The U.S. built two pipelines, I love these names, Big Inch Pipeline and Little Big Inch Pipeline.
1: (laughs) I'm not (laughs) not even touching that. From the Gulf
0: of Mexico to the upper eastern coast where our U.S. Navy was stored so they could deliver fuel to our Navy because German U-boats had actually already attacked refueling stations on the east coast, on the eastern seaboard, and also in the Gulf of Mexico. A lot of people know that there was actually German U-boat attacks on U.S. soil— to take out fueling infrastructure. Now, the Germans didn't get very far, but I like clearly the fact that they, they built this pipeline. What else? What else? Let's see. Oh, here's one last one. 1929, Wirt Franklin became the first president of the Tulsa based Independent Petroleum Association of America, which is still around. And him and his buddy, Earl Halliburton, perfected the method of cement and oil wells in the field. Huh. So, big red, thank you. Without Earl, Halliburton, we would not be properly plugging in abandoned wells, and Ooh. you did it before anybody else, so big shout out for- Oh, you forgot
1: taking... the August 4th, 1977, U.S. Department of Energy established.
0: Oh, I did forget one. Yeah, okay. Jimmy Carter signed
1: the Department of Energy Organization Act, which established the 12th Cabinet-level department by consolidating a dozen agencies and energy-related programs of the federal government.
0: And listen to you, you didn't even like this, and now you're right in the middle of This Week in Energy History. Well, government, hmm. <laughs> What's going on with recounts? Let me pull it up. All
1: right. So United States down five at 664. Canada's up six, one ninety-three. Internationally, we're up to at 967.
0: Yeah, you know, I would think internationally that should start to fall pretty soon. We'll see. Yeah.
1: There's um, only a couple.
0: May, well, they may be seeing the same thing I'm seeing in that I think at the very end of this year we see a big price and big spike in oil. And if so, you'd want to get production ready for that big spike. So we'll, we'll see on top of that. LinkedIn page, you know what to do. Just go click follow. All the cool stuff that we're doing now in the future, you'll be notified of it. First, for all you people that have signed up for a monthly oil and gas newsletter, just a little note, it's getting ready to change. I have not change the format of that in probably 15 (laughs) years. It does look like it's from 1995, although it's still useful. So we're going to revamp it. Still the same useful information. All the oil and gas events are going on, plus insider events, coupons, passes. And we're also going to have another newsletter with a lot of stuff that's going on at OGGN. It's going to come from OGGN instead of modal points. So just be aware that if you're getting the modal point oil and gas events newsletter, it will change. You don't need to do anything, but we're just going to modernize it, make it easier to read, make it prettier, basically. Oh, good. And if you want to ask a question like everybody did today, easiest thing to do is go to oilandgasthisweek.com or oggn.com. Both have a place for you to ask a question. If we use your question on the air, you'll get a big shout out. And if we don't use your question on the air, we got it. We just decided not to use it for some reason or another. If you like myself or you're our experts to come speak at your event, just reach out to us. We do a lot of really cool stuff. Love to bring live podcasts anywhere in the world like Aberdeen, Calgary. So just reach out. Happy to share those details. Ready to get out of here? Yep. Remember, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.